Miller. On this week's episode of Tiger Turf Talk, we host the assistant groundskeeper of the Cincinnati Reds, Mr. Christo Wallace. This is such a fantastic episode with such a fantastic human being. I met Christo when we were accepting the award of Pioneer in the Field back in Palm Beach, STMA. Can't put a year on it because I can't keep up with COVID and everything else, but uh, it has been awesome to reconnect and discuss everything that he's going through when it comes to Major League Baseball, especially uh, coming from a COVID year into somewhat of a normal year. Um, We also got to talk about how he had such a unique journey to get to this point in his career from finding his way into turf management right off the bat, going back uh, on an online school, getting his degree, and just thriving in this industry at such a young age. Um, It's really awesome to see, again, such a young uh, industry leader when it comes to everything moving forward. He is looking to grow this industry. He's looking to help any way that he can in his position in Cincinnati, working with his boss, Derek. Um, it's incredible to see the growth that has come from Cincinnati from before with Stephen Lord and everything that has been developed by that organization when it comes to the grounds crew. It's just an awesome episode that you definitely don't want to miss. Um, Christo is a phenomenal person, a great guy, and we cannot thank him enough for taking the time um, and coming on the podcast. So we hope you enjoy this episode of Tiger Turf Talk. Uh, Good afternoon and welcome to the 52nd episode of Tiger Turf Talk. I'm your host, Drew Miller. Today we have the assistant groundskeeper of the Cincinnati Reds at the Great American Ballpark, Mr. Crystal Wallace. How are you doing today, sir? Not too bad, man. How are you? Uh, you know, another day. Uh, <laughs> just got to keep fighting, you know? Um, yes, sir. Absolutely. Uh, you're in the heart of the season and everything. You were just talking about how you have to go back tonight and cover the tarp. Uh, how's the season going so far? How's everything been for the crew and whatnot? Uh, sort of weaning off the COVID and weaning off the craziness of that. And again, coming back to, again, that chaotic thing that we all love with Major League Baseball groundskeeping. Uh, it's it's been going pretty good. Uh, can't complain for the most part. I think uh, as we're all experiencing this year, which is uh, Mother Nature, um, you know she uh, controls everything. I think um, every year. Um, so that's a that's a normality that we see every year. You know, with COVID or without COVID. Um, you know, I think a lot of people have been struggling a little bit this year with uh, weather, but, uh, you know, I, I think up until last homestand, uh, we had not had a homestand yet where we didn't pull tarp. So you just, uh, you just hope for that one chance, you know, like, come on, yeah. two games left. Don't make us pull the tarp. Come on. Yeah, we finally made it last homestand. Um, but unfortunately, like you already stated, uh, we had a day game today. Um, so uh, I'll be heading back in at eight o'clock tonight and we're going to tarp her back up tonight. So that that streak is is gone. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> right. So close. Yeah. So close. Yeah. No, but um, with everything with that, um, I lost my train of thought there. I had a... <laughs> um. 
everything that goes into what you do uh, with your position as the assistant groundskeeper, and I've said this for a long time to the people I know, uh, the assistant groundskeepers are really the ones where the, the feet are on the ground doing the work, you know, doing the, um, what's the proper term, the, the plan, executing the plan of the head groundskeeper and what their expectations are. Obviously, I know, I mean, I used to work for Matt Brown over in Pittsburgh. He loved to get his hands dirty. He'd much prefer to be out there with us than in an office. But again, time comes where, again, the assistant groundskeeper takes over. Can you sort of talk about what it's been like for you in that role there in Cincinnati? Yeah. Um, you know, this is uh, year nine in baseball in general now. Um, so I think, you know, finding those different places and how they do things. And, and like you said, with the, with the meetings and uh, you know, I've been a head guy in the minor league levels, um, you know, and then I was also an assistant in Toledo. Um, and then now I've been here for three years. So with, when you come in here, you, you got to start, figuring out and kind of that first year I kind of dipped my toes in the water a little bit to see you know to follow Derek around a little bit to to kind of see how he would manage things how he'd manage people the the field itself how our field played and you know had to had to learn pretty quickly with with Steve stepping out this this past year and and stepping up now and uh Derek's uh taking over the reins now. And so with, with him taking over all those meetings, um, which is, is quite often. Um, so a lot of the times it's, it's, it's me communicating with coaches during BP or uh, moving, you know, those extra screens around or those extra cages or um, pitching machines that they would need. Um, you know, so a lot of times it's, it's making sure my ducks are in a row um, and, and I, I don't know. It sounds bad, but a lot of times I feel like I'm real scatterbrained because, you know, you got to make sure like, I'm like, okay, is the dirt wet enough right now? Or, you know, are we set up behind me over here? Are we, you know, it's just, you know, it, it, luckily we also have um, the second assistant, uh, Devin Herman, who, who is fantastic. And he's, he's a new and young up and comer in this industry. And he's coming into his own very, very quickly. And, you know, without the three of us, I, I think that's what makes it really easy with, with Derek being in meetings, you know, I should 60% of the time, maybe probably. Um, so, you know, without the core of the three of us and the management and the biggest backbone is, is the guys behind you, um, you know, and without our crew in general, you wouldn't be able to do what you do. And it, it's just, you can't thank them enough. Absolutely. Um, so you were sort of talking about it there. There was a transition from uh, head groundskeeper, uh, it, Stephen Lord, right? Am I wrong saying that? Yeah, Stephen He's Lord. been there forever. You know, he's sort of been running the show in Cleveland, um, Cincinnati. Wow. Sorry about that. No, um, <laughs> for quite some time now to make that sort of shift uh, and keep your role in the same sense uh, between the two. How has that been? How has that transition been? A lot of people don't go through that when it comes to the MLB because very rarely are you going to see a head groundskeeper leave their post uh, during the middle of someone's, say, like you, your tenure with the Reds. Right. Um, I mean, this is a credit to Steve. It's a credit to Derek. Um the culture that was created here before I even got here. Um, you know, they, they had a huge bond and uh, of, you know, 
went outside of work itself and just uh, of friendship. And that was created here with a lot of the guys. Um, you know, it's a very easygoing type of culture. So when Derek took over, you know, that was our, that was our main goal and hope when Steve left that we would be able to stay in house and, and, and succeed the way that we wanted to and, and, and kind of keep what we already had going. So um, not much has changed. Uh, you know, besides the fact that uh, Derek's learning how to do meetings, um, which he's not happy about at times, but it, it works, you know, because like you said, with Matt Brown, like he, they would rather be getting their hands dirty and, you know, but and, and be out there playing in the dirt and, and, and mowing with us. Um, but it comes with the, the territory and he's doing a great job with it and, and loves it. And, uh, you know, it it's just kind of, it, it kind of helped do the fact that when Steve left that we had already been together for two years. So, you know, just kind of watch Derek just jump over in the driver's seat and I jumped out of the back seat and got in the front seat with him. So it's been fun. I love that. That's awesome. Just the, <laughs> the analogy you just used yeah. Chinese fire drill. Everybody go. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Start running, man. Oh God. Don't panic though. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so with that culture and it, it's recognizable, whether it's through social media or the people that have interned there, internships in Cincinnati are different than a lot of places. Is that, am I right in saying that? Uh, yeah. I hope in a good way. Uh, no, yeah, um, in know, a in a good way. Yeah. Sorry, no, no, uh, no, no, absolutely, no. I I hope in a in a good way, man. That's that goes back to Steve, and he created this monster, and he started this internship program, man, and it's admirable. You know, it's it's kind of like the Nielsen Mafia, you know, and that's just like when I was coming up in minor leagues and, and, and starting as a young guy in this industry. And that's it, weird to say, cause I'm only 29. Um, and you still are young. Yes. I, I, right. <laughs> so, you know, when I'm starting this industry, I, I see people like Steve Lord and the internship program he had and, and the Nielsen mafia. And you're like, dude, wherever I end up, I want to start something like that. And I, I want to build this monster, you know, I want, I want to become the Nick Saban, the Urban Meyer of, of turf industry and just start this monster and just have people that we just have this huge foundation of people that have succeeded and, you know, in this industry behind us, with us and have become part of our backbone and the reason why we succeed. Because without those interns, we don't succeed here in Cincinnati. And everybody knows that those kids are, first of all, they keep us young, um, with all this hip language and everything, I, I learned <laughs> something. I, I learned something new every day, man. Um, and and but you know when he left, I, I vowed to keep that thing going. And you know, I did, it's 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 awesome to get those guys in here every year and just watch them learn, watch them grow over the summer, and you know, watch wait to see where they go next. You know, that's just it's, it's fun to see. And it's fun to see them, you know, get excited over the little things that mowing for the first time, or, you know, just watching baseball. It kind of, it really brings you back because when you, I think a lot of times when you're out there working those 15 hour days, you forget where you're at, you know? And when you bring somebody in like that, those young kids and you, you watch them walk into that stadium for the first time and, 
their eyes just light up, you know, you're like, all right, man. Like that's, that's, that's (laughs) cool because it just makes you realize like, all right, like that my end goal, I'm, I might be still be here, but it makes you realize not to take things for granted. And with those kids around here, they, they just, you can't say enough about them. Absolutely. I remember there's one time (laughs) I felt so terrible. So when I first started in Pittsburgh, I was working for Chris Acton with the Steelers and uh, my roommate Browns, by the way, though, man, I'm a Giants fan. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter worse than you now. So who cares? Um, but I'm working for Chris with the Steelers and I, I remember, uh, my dad, one of his teacher's brothers was, uh, putting me up and I was renting a place with him and he was a Pittsburgh guy through and through huge Steelers fan. And I get into town. He's like, yeah, I'm going to take the day off, show you around and everything. I was like, okay, great. Can we stop by work real quick? I just want to introduce myself to my new boss. And Chris pulls around the stadium and a cart picks me up. And I say, hey, can he come with us? And he said, yeah, sure. So my the roommate jumps in the back and we pull down onto the field and I just hop out and I'm walking and I turn around and this kid's like, oh right. my gosh, I'm on yeah. the grass. I am on Heinz Field. This is happening. And it was funny because he, he sent stuff to his sister and his sister yelled at my dad because his bro- her brother was on Heinz Field within the first day of me being there. I was like, it's true about taking stuff for granted and how much like how important that is to people, you know, and it's yeah. it's crazy to see that kind of stuff. Um, you were sort of talking about it. Uh, again, you're a much younger guy in the industry. Um even if you want to say 29 is old, it's not. <laughs> and we like, we, like me, I'm only 26, 25, something like that. I got to figure that out. Um, <laughs> we have a different lens than a lot of the people like you're talking about the Nielsen mafia and all those guys that have been in this for so long. Right. What do you, what have you seen sort of as a whole in the industry, the outlook with when it comes to labor, the professionals that are coming in? I mean, like you were saying, the hip language, I have a high school classroom. Like it's every day there's something new. But again, being able to see those kids and sort of take an interest. And I've got kids who have been interning on golf courses. And one of my kids was up with Pittsburgh again, this or up with Pittsburgh with Steelers this year. Like seeing that and what do you see sort of the outlook of the future of this industry based on your experience again from what you've seen? Whew. Oh man. Uh, I think it can go one of two ways. Um, first of all, I think it all depends on their experience with you. Um, you could make this kid's future bright and excited and make him want to keep going. Um, or a lot of the times you can be that guy to run people out of it. Um, I think a lot of the times we bring a lot on ourselves um, and, and, and take stress out on people and, and things without realizing it. And I think you got to, I think it depends on how you teach people um, while they're with you and how they enjoy their summer, because I think that'll make or break a kid. And I, I think in this industry right now, we need youth, man. And there is no doubt about it. And, you know, I think, I think the hours scare them. A lot of the times, um, 
You know, it's just, it's, you got to be really, really into this. You know, there, there's no doubt about it, I think. But a lot of the times when these kids come in, it, a lot of them are committed. And, you know, they, they want to be committed. They just want to learn. And I think a lot of the times, I think that might be the scariest thing for them is the hours, um, you know, and, and learning that side of things. Um, you know, hopefully um, we can find ways to keep driving the young youth into it. And that's what I've been after for the last five or six years now is finding ways to keep you new classes coming up, whether that's having field days, having those interns word of mouth talking about our internship or, you know, just finding ways to, to talk to these kids, whether it's having my DMS open on Twitter where they can talk to me and ask about, you know, always responding when I can, you know, I'm not, I might not be great about it at times, but you know, in a dead of a 12 game homestand, but um, you know, just trying to be an open book for them and, and, and trying to keep the, this window open and, and keep these young kids going. Um, and once they get to you, I think that's the biggest thing is, is finding, you know, for these kids that I've been all over the place. I've been, I've done golf, I've done baseball, I've done football. Um, the biggest thing for them. And I tell, and I tell kids all the time, I'm not, I'm not afraid to tell it, dude, find your niche. Like, even if you come to us, and you just decide that, dude, baseball's not for me and I want to go back to golf, great. I don't, I don't care if you end up in baseball because I just want you to end up in turf because we just need individuals in, in all three sectors right now. Like, you know, and, and, you know, whether it's sports, whether it's just regular professors or just, you know, golf. Just, I, I think just we need youth and we need to find ways to keep it growing. Absolutely. And we're, we're trying in our own way here at Brentsville for sure. So, uh, hopefully we'll see something come out. Right? Yeah. I uh, hope so. Yeah. 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 So you were talking about how you've done a little bit of everything, you know, and you had to find your niche. What was your journey and how did you sort of find turf grass in all of, again, when we talk about turf management, I mean, there are so many times where like, I didn't know about it until I was a freshman in college, you know, like, People yeah. don't know about us. So how did you find it? And sort of what was your journey through the industry up until this point where you're with the Reds? It's kind of funny, man. My, my dad uh, ran uh, golf uh, country clubs his entire life. And uh, he was in the business side of things. And the first time he ever took me to a golf course, I think I was five or six years old and uh, might've been younger, but you know, I was out there with, with him and I ran straight to the bunkers instead of trying to learn how to play golf with them. And now it's funny cause I, I play golf religiously now, but uh, that was my biggest thing. And I remember you used to run around my backyard and, you know, you play football with all your friends or baseball in the backyard with all of them. And I used to get in trouble because I would take the topsoil and everything and try to make my own makeshift mounds and everything in the backyard. And uh, my mom used to get so mad and it was just like, you know, mulch or dirt would go missing and, spray paint would go missing because I'd be painting lines in the backyard or when there was a big snowstorm, I would, I would shovel out yard lines to play snow football back there. And, you know, it just, it, it was awesome. Um, but, uh, then one summer my dad was like, Hey, you know, um, why don't you go get a summer job at one of the local golf courses, uh, you know, around here, I'll, I'll get you in with some of the guys I know. 
And I said, okay. You know, I was 18, 17 and had no clue. I was just, my, my dad wanted me to start getting a better stable job, you know, and as I was getting ready to graduate high school and I didn't, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, when I left, when I left high school, I, I was going to go into business uh, administration. Absolutely hated it. I went one semester and I was working on the golf course at the same time, you know, and I'm, I'm learning all about the numbers and finance classes. I'm like, dude, this is, this is miserable. Um, I'm not, I could never sit in an office uh, like that nine to five. And so I started talking to these guys at this golf course and I just started like falling in love with what I was doing. And I was like, guys, like, what, like, is this actually like a job or profession? Like, that's the biggest thing with when I say we need to find a way to the youth, because I feel like a lot of times young kids have no idea, man. They, like you said, they, they have no idea about what we do or that it's an actual career. Um, and when people think about like all they think about at first, like, Oh, that's cool. He cuts grass for the reds. It's much more than that. Um, but you know, I start talking to him and then, I ended up there was a Mahoning Valley Scrappers, which is short season for the Cleveland Indians where I lived. And they actually needed interns that summer. So I ended up working at the golf course from like 5 a.m. to like one o'clock in the afternoon and then going to the Scrappers, working their games and that at night and then doing it all over again tomorrow. And uh, God bless you. (laughs) Yeah. And that's how I got started. And then the following year, I moved to Cleveland and I was going to work on the grounds crew at my dad's country club in Cleveland where he was living at the time and uh, saw that the Indians were hiring full time. And I was like, dude, I'm, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to wing it and just apply and see what happens. And I ended up getting it and, you know, stayed there for three years, worked for the Browns as well. While I was there, I enrolled at Ohio state um, wanted to keep my job. So I talked to Pam Sherritt at Ohio state and started doing the online program so I could keep my job at the same time and build my resume. Cause I didn't want to lose that. Cause I was already, I figured I was in a, in a good spot. Um, then after spending about four years in Cleveland there, uh, I got the head job at the Lake County captains, which was also in Cleveland. So I didn't, didn't have to move, which was pretty awesome and unheard of in this industry. Um, stayed there for two seasons and then I went out to New Hampshire, uh, to, uh, take the head job there. And, uh, that was 2017, 2018. Um, went there to take uh, the head job, um, stayed there for about three months. Unfortunately, I had to come home for a family emergency. Uh, my father got sick. Um, so we, we stayed home and I knew that at that time I had to be closer to him. Um, so then it was the craziest thing. I I knew I wanted to stay in the industry. I didn't know how, but I knew I had to be in Ohio at the time and, and, and and close to him. My sister lived in Toledo and it just so happened that Jake Tyler of the Mudheads was looking for an assistant. And it was like, God just opening up his hands for me and just saying like, Hey, here you go. And, and, and let's do this. And at that, at that point it was, it was so awesome because I was able to stay in the industry and yet have my father live with us and, and, and care for him while having my sisters and my now wife's help. Um, and then from there, uh, you know, um, Robbie Dworkin left the Cincinnati Reds to go run Cincinnati FC. 
and it opened and it just felt right like the right move and i've been here for three years now <laughs> hey sounds great you know <laughs> yeah the wild now, ride but the fisher cats i've actually been to that stadium in manchester right yeah uh were you there when they had wasn't it like a full um what am i trying to say like ne- no synthetic anything was put on the field like no synthetic fertilizers so that was right after i left Okay. Like literally. And so I didn't actually end up doing any games there because when I had moved out there, I moved out there in November and then was getting everything ready for the next coming season and everything like that. And then uh, my dad got sick. So I had moved back here. (sighs) Heck dude, February. Gotcha. And so I'd only been there through the winter, the worst parts in the year in New Hampshire. Um, sorry for anybody if I offend you out in the East Coast. I, but, got, uh, I got family up in New Hampshire. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Getting Holy snowed moly, in man. Christmas up on yeah. top of a mountain with my cousins is not a fun thing. Well, it's fun, but you know what I mean. It's not the safest yeah. thing. But no. The first time I walked out there in one of those Nor'easters, you know, uh, I walked out there with my dog and he was, he was a beagle and he – he goes out there and the snows up to my kneecaps and he just looks up at me like, heck no, man. Like this, <laughs> like this, I can't even walk. Yeah. yeah. We are Turn not going around. This is not happening right now. This is <laughs> right. not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> so with everything uh, being in Cincinnati now, last year was sort of a really weird time for everyone. And I've been able to talk to a couple different uh, groundskeepers in the MLB. It was really weird for MLB groundskeepers because you were stuck in a rut where you knew you were going to have to be ready. You just didn't know when, what was that experience like and how did you guys sort of combat the, we got to have MLB preparations right now, but we don't at the same time and we have no money and all that. How was that sort of getting ready for that year? Dude, I'll honestly say uh, Cincinnati Reds were, awesome during the time with everything to us. Uh, they stayed very transparent with us. They were trying to keep us above the eight ball at every moment. Um, I won't say the unknowing was fun. Uh, it was miserable uh, waking up every day, not knowing if we were going to get to do what we loved every day. Um, I mean, let's face it, man, as much as we all say, uh, it'd be really cool to take care of a field that, that nobody plays on. Guess what? It's not that fun. Um, and it was just, you know, walking in every day to crickets and and not hearing anybody. And especially the point where things got really bad and, you know, they, they were forced unfortunately forced at at some point to start giving some furloughs, um, around the stadium for a time there. And it got, things got quiet, things got scary and nobody really knew what was coming next. And at, Heck, man, there was that one point in July, I think, or June, and where we started thinking, like, dude, this ain't happening. Like, they couldn't come to an agreement, and we we were mowing daily. We were also running the youth academy, uh, the three of us were. That's all that was left at that point was Derek, Steve, and I, and we were just – running the youth Academy at the same time as we were running the stadium, going back and forth. And there would be some times where we'd have some of the players still in town and they would work out, you know, maybe three to five of them where they would just want to do BP or just throw to try and stay in shape. Cause nobody had no idea. And 
there was that one point there where it's like, dude, this is just not going to happen. And then all of a sudden, like a week or so later, you know, things start breaking and we're like, oh my goodness, like we, we might get back to, to something here. And, you know, when we got that phone call, finally, like, hey, we're, we're going to go. Like it was very relieving um, just because of the stress. Uh, you, you just don't waking up every day wondering because at some point there you start worrying about if you're going to have a job tomorrow and you know because it's just like how long can they keep us around here you know to mow and water and, and fertilize where it's almost like at one point with no play and everything it's like you know you're trying to, you just get very scared and losing you know doing what you love every single day and, and ha having the chance of that being ripped out of your hands, it's, it's freaky. Yeah. That's, it does not sound like fun at all. And especially with the, the quiet, it's never good when it's quiet, you know? No. Uh, and I'll tell you what, I think that was the biggest thing that I look forward to this year was having people back because just hearing that roar again, it's nuts. Like the first time you heard it, it's like, okay, like this, I missed that. You know, this is, this is real. We're alive. Here we go. Yeah. Now, speaking of roar, okay, we got to get into this part, you know. Yeah. No one had fun in COVID except for your ground screw. Can I just say that, you know? Oh, yeah. We took with, it everything, with, it. <laughs> with everything that was going on, and it was just hilarious to watch, like, on highlights and whatnot. You guys, if you could sort of just tell the story behind it, because I could speak of it, but you're the one that actually knows what happened. So if you could just sort of talk how that came about and yeah. really how really like rejuvenating it was for you during such a terrible time, you know? So it kind of started on like opening day. Like we were, we, we were going through this summer training 2.0, call it whatever you want to. And uh, we kind of, at that point we knew that we were going to be the only ones around and on a normal year, you can't make a peep, man. We're in the dugout. You, you got to be quiet and get, you know, just professional about it per se. And uh, we started joking around saying, hey, you know, we just newly acquired Mike Moustakis. And we were joking around saying, hey, let's let's like buy some like moose antlers or something and like sunglasses. And like someone, you know, one of our guys, Alex Cordecamp, showed up with a moose crossing sign. And then next thing you know, like we started yelling and just yelling moose and doing the mooses over there with our hands over our head and just yelling for them. And next day, like one of the next couple of days, Joey Votto comes up to, to me and Steve and he's like, Hey, like, I love what you guys are doing. Like, we got to keep this going. You guys are giving us some type of atmosphere, makes it feel normal. And that was our biggest thing. Like for, to them, like it felt like some back brought back some point of like normality to, to what our, our game normally is. And he, he goes, Hey, like, I'm going to buy you guys a couple instruments. And Steve and I both right away were like, dude, if anybody knows Joey, Joey doesn't ever do anything like to a small scale. Like if Joey's going to do it, Joey's going to go big. Like it's like, it's like, here we go. Like full send. Like, well, boys, I sent her a little too hard. Like, like we're going all the way. So we walk in the next day. See, we're like, not we're not that old. We've got that down, you know. Right, yeah. All all my kids. That's right. <laughs> right. Full send so, is still a thing. Sorry. Oh, ahead. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So we show up 
like that Monday or whatever, the next homestand that they're back in town and they say, Hey, we have an Amazon order for you guys from, from Vado. It's at the dock. You got to go pick it up. So we go up there, man. It, there's five boxes of things <laughs> like, like tambourines, vuvuzelas, like blow horns. We're like, yeah, they're, they're absolutely not going to let us use the blow horns. That ain't happening. Like, and like all these instruments and tambourines and, and just rock them like stuff. And so we just start going all out and just the guys are loving it. And, you know, they're telling us every day how much they appreciate it. And, you know, we, next thing we know, we start getting calls to do interviews, you know, on MLB network on everything. And it's just like, guys, we, we can't stop now. And that's where like, you know, and in this industry, you know, it's a small knit industry, you know, everybody knows everybody. And when you're up here, you start meeting people and, you know, Steve was in Texas for years. And when he was the assistant there, uh, Derek Holland was one of their pitchers and he was on Pittsburgh last year. And I'll never forget. I remember, he was coming in town and he had a great relationship with Steve and they still talk to this day. And Steve was like, dude, he's a diehard Michigan fan. And I was like, Oh heck no, we cannot let that happen around here. And I have a Buckeye helmet in my office that sits there. And Steve just happened to have a Michigan state flag in his office. So I strapped up that helmet. I put it on when, when Holland was coming in and the flag and everything. And dude, we let it rip. And Derek was out there on the mound. You could see him laughing. And it was just one of those things. And like a lot of the guys just loved it. And, you know, I shouldn't say all of them um, because there was a team in town and there's a, there's an interview online of like later in the season last year. And someone, someone told Joey at first base after they got a hit and everything. And I think he was on the Cubs. I can't remember, but someone told Joey was like, God, I cannot stand those guys. Like they are terrible. And Joey just looked right at him and goes, good. That's the point. <laughs> so he was probably like, duh. Like, yeah. What, yeah we, why do you we think were, I got them all this stuff? That's right. the whole point of this. What are you talking right. about? I'm trying to create a home field advantage and, you know, and we just took it and ran with it. We loved it, man. It was, it was a lot of fun and it just kind of bridged that gap. you know, that professional level where people say like, Oh, like, players and, and groundskeepers they just you know they they don't talk there's that you know that there's that fine line and dude it just around here like between the interns this is like i was saying earlier like you know we can't live without our crew we can't live without our interns and like between the team and us dude it's just a giant family around here and that's the one greatest thing about the cincinnati reds is just you know er everybody believes in each other and you know i i think that it was just they truly looked forward to seeing us, what we were doing every night. And we looked forward to the playoff run that we went on last year and, and ended that drought, you know, that the Reds were on for, for so long. Absolutely. And I mean, it, it had to be a blast and especially be able to take it to the playoffs like that. Some, again, like you said, the players were appreciative, but like in that time, I couldn't imagine hearing a bat with nothing being heard afterwards, you know, yeah. like it's crazy. One of the biggest things was, and I, you know, I'll never forget because those moments, you, you, dude, you made you made relationships with even teams out of town because, dude, they even got to the point where they there was no one to talk to while they were on the on the fields. There was no interaction, so like we were the only ones. So like 
sometimes they wouldn't interact with us. Some would. Um, it just depended on who was out there, who, you know, and I'll never forget Anthony Rizzo was one that was with the Cubs and he started joking back with us and nonstop, you know, just would, would go back and forth with us. And one of the biggest jokes that we started with him was, and he just busted out laughing and couldn't stop. And we, we told him that his wife's cookies tasted like mayonnaise. And, <laughs> and it was like one of the most random things, but it was like, it worked. And it like, dude, he lost it. And it was just like, where did you guys even come up with that? We we're like, I don't know, man. It just came off the cuff. And we just started running with it. And before the end of it, like Alex Polnow, who is now uh, in Nashville, uh, one of our former interns and uh, great up and coming guys in this industry as well. Um, he started joking with him and was like, Hey man, like sign my polo, sign my polo for me and let's do a Jersey. So swap. That was, that was him in the Jersey. Swap. Yeah. That's pretty funny. Yeah. So we ended up in, and Rizzo was like, this was the first time they were in town. And Rizzo was like, dude, last time that we're here, we'll do it. And the last game of the year that they were here, all of a sudden after the game, he comes walking out of the dugout as we're doing post game. And he's got his jersey off, and he's like, hey, let's do it. Like, I told you guys. And, like, nobody thought that he would actually do yeah. it, man. And he comes out and had us sign the, the polo for him, and he signed the uh, the jersey and had the best grounds crew in the league on it, written on it, and signed his name. And, you know, this the, that was just a year that you, you just won't ever forget, like, for, for good and bad reasons. Absolutely. And I love when you have those guys like Rizzo, you know, who remember after saying, yeah, I, I'll do it, you know, like, and then like Votto being the guy saying, Hey, I want you to do more like b- spending his own money to have that opportunity. That's just, it's awesome to see those big names have just the same interactions as a normal human, you know, yeah. there's a lot of people lose in a sense, you know, and I think that it helps, especially like in our position when, when we are working, like we're not here to like be admiring or anything like that. We're working as a professional and they understand that. So I'm sure that was a, awesome to have that opportunity, you know, um, right. with everything. And again, even now, I shouldn't say post COVID because obviously it's still a thing and I don't want to yell that. Um, <laughs> right. Baseball can be pretty redundant when it comes to groundskeeping these. And don't get me wrong. Things happen. Things change, you know, but there's a routine to it. You know, you come in, you're cleaning the warning track up. You got to mow the infield, outfield, water, the collar, water, everything like everything has to be done. What is it? That's your favorite part of the job. And, how has that sort of been the thing that has brought you and kept you with baseball, you know, cause again, that niche and everything, I loved baseball because I was a baseball player, you know, that was what I wanted to do. Um, but again, I, I gained a love for everything else in a sense with football and being able to do other things, but what is it for you? That is baseball. That is sort of that underlying fact that says I'll always be a baseball groundskeeper. Um, for me, it became every that, that whole whirlwind of a day where you're flying around and whether it's you're mowing in the morning and getting them then getting the mounds ready, making sure that everything's tied together, whether it's you know that blowing of the track, like you said, watering the track, watering the infield, getting the infield, the the edges pulled back in that we blew out from the night before, or you know, everything like that. 
And then all of a sudden, you know, running around all day, whether it's for BP, everything. Yeah, it, it might get redundant at times, but I think your day is so quick that you don't have time to let it get redundant because you don't have time to think about it where, because, you know, once you, you go in the morning and then all of a sudden you sit down and eat lunch real quick, come back out, water everything again, get everything ready to go. And then all of a sudden it's BP. But I, I think the, the, the thing for me that, that locked it in of that, I knew that I was home per se, whether it was baseball, football, or golf was like, once the dust settles from that whirlwind of a day, all of a sudden you see the lights come on. You see that field on TV. You watch that kid and his dad walk into the stadium for the first time, right? And his eyes just light up. I said, Dad, look, look at them running on that field. Look at, look at that field out there. Or like, you know, it's, it's you know, that, that memorable moment when that, that kid sees a, a baseball stadium for the first time. And, you know, that field out there. And it, it when that, like I said, when that dust settles and you hear someone just say like, dude, like, look at that out there. And it's just like, yeah, like that last 10 hours that I just busted my butt for, like people notice and see that. And that's what like, it's that gratitude that it's like, yeah, man, like that's, that's pretty darn cool. And that's, it just makes you come back every day. For sure. Uh, there's a, so I don't know if you know Dr. Gurley. He's out of Virginia Tech, but he taught my capstone class, so like the last course you take before you graduate. And his first class, it, 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 I I carry this with me every day. You know, when we're working on stuff, and I try and instill to my kids, you are so much more than a groundskeeper. You're so much more than a grass cutter. You're so much more than that because you are making memories, whether that's at the little league level where you're taking care of that field where kids are going to make memories. They're going to have that championship game. They had a home run in the bottom of the six and they won, you know, or like you just said, you can be working on a major league field where you're working every day. And that moment when the fans come in and they're like, this is going to be the, one of the most craziest moments of my life as such a young kid, you know, they, that's what it's all about, you know? And I couldn't agree yeah. with you more on that, you know? Um, I do, I do to say this a lot too. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, I actually got to go to uh, Shea Stadium when Pete Flynn had the cityscape mowed into the field. That's and pretty I, sweet. Yeah. I, felt, I felt so guilty because I was more excited about the fact that I was seeing my Piazza play than the cityscape, even though the cityscape <laughs> is literally one of the most incredible things done on an athletic right. field anywhere, you know? There were no robots. There were no anything. And I'm like, Wow, do you're a real ass for that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> paid, paid no attention to that, but Mike Piazza did great that night. <laughs> I did say, I did say, wow, that's incredible. I didn't. After that, it was just Mike Piazza all day. <laughs> yeah. Um, something I sort of asked you this already, but it's in a different sense. With with uh, our jobs and in, in sports turf, there's a big, big organization with the STMA. Um, how has that sort of played a role in your career? Again, with your career, you've had such a different approach, not an approach, but like story compared to most people being there to get into it and then have to get your education because you're in it. You know, a lot of people don't do that. Um, it's usually education. I found this thing that I want and I'm going to go get my education in order to get it. You were in it, you know, and everything that goes into that, the STMA 
I'm sure had somewhat of a role, but how has that sort of had an influence on your career and how has that membership been a benefit to you when it comes to sort of how you've gotten to this point? Dude, I can't explain it enough that actually, believe it or not, like STMA plays a huge role. Um, and OTF um, because of the fact of networking. And that's another thing to these young kids is like, guys, get involved. Like, go to these meetings, come to OTF, come to STMA because networking is so huge in our industry. And that's just like, that's kind of where I have gotten, that's why I am where I am now. Because when I was at OTF or when I was at Cleveland Browns, you know, I met one of my biggest mentors in this industry who I owe everything in, to in our industry. His name is Matt Duncan, and everybody knows Matt Duncan in this industry. Matt Duncan showed me everything, and he got me – He, you know, I went to OTF for my first time with him, and he introduced me to so many people there. And then all of a sudden, you, you just start running with it, and you start running with those people. And then I started running with the Nielsen Mafia and, and, and learning from all them and watching Tommy and Todd Schaefer, how they do everything, you know, and how, and how everybody looks up to them. And then you go to STMA and start meeting everybody down there. And that's how you find out about these jobs and these people, because, you know, I tell people all the time, like that run their own field and everything, like never stop learning. You, you know, you, it's one of those things where you, you can never know enough, like where even if a kid comes to me from, let's say Iowa state and says, Hey, like we do it there this way. Like, okay, show me, because guess what? Like, things might've evolved and, and, and made me learn, you know, and like, so like, Hey, it might be a better way to do it. So let's do it. And that's the greatest thing about STMA and, and OTF is being able to talk to those kids or those people and seeing how they do things. And it might make my job today easier. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, Cause again, I mean, when it comes to ST, I talk about how my first time, I met Matt Brown who gave me my first shot at any level higher than again, a student worker at tech, but that was just on a whim. Like I saw a posting at STMA like, well, I'm a New York Mets fan. I might as well apply, you know? And mm-hmm. I just remember interviewing with Matt and the rest is history. You know, now I've got this network. that's massive. And I know we met actually at STMA. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. So again, it's, it's even like a short meeting like that. I mean, we had a five minute conversation and no more than that, but at the same time, like I know I can reach out to you because of that, you know, and having that right. connection throughout the whole industry. Again, not a lot of industries have that, you know what I mean? And I understand no. some are vast and large, but I think it's just so cool how we're able to do that with the STMA and even crossing over into the GCSAA, you know, making those two groups connected, you know, it's, it's great to see. So I want to sort of shift sort to, uh, to field maintenance and whatnot and everything that you have going on. Uh, you're in a very unique location where you're at, uh, when it comes to preparation leading up to the actual season, you got a little bit of the colder side, your bluegrass and everything. What is it that you're focusing on sort of on prepping for the season, heading into, again, another big year for what you want your first game to play as the same as your last game? What is it you're focusing on? Um, you, you mean as just how the field plays overall or like what's our, our, what's our main goal? You know, coming out, coming out of the winter, you know, obviously we're going to put our blankets on to start waking her up a little bit, just as you said, because of how, how cold it can get here. We don't see much snow in Cincinnati this past year, 
we got a lot more than we'd ever seen. I think it was the most in 10 years. Um, granted, coming from a guy that did live in New Hampshire for a year, um, that was nothing compared to New Hampshire. So, um, you know, that, you know, we, we watch it there and then you, you know, basically once those blankets come off, usually we'll, we'll leave them on for about a month. And then you, you take them off right around St. Patrick's day, give or take usually. Um, and then it's kind of hit the ground running, man. You want, you want to, you take those blankets off and, and, you know, hopefully things woke up big time, um, uh, which normally they do. Uh, usually we have some really good temperatures, um, and, and it really helps things green up for how quick we start. And I, I apologize to any college groundskeeper. I know you guys start a lot earlier. Um, or high school for that matter. Um, I know you guys are trying to battle, you know, into, into February almost. Um, so, you know, once, once you take those blankets off, it, that's the first time you're looking for any funguses, anything like that to make sure that we're, we're good to go. Um, and then, you know, that, that mid April and May, it, it, you know, rain and cold becomes, you know, a big concern this year. We, we played two games in the snow opening day. We were mowing in the snow. Um, Gotta so that's a, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's a big concern. Um, and then all of a sudden you shift from that to start worrying about the heat. Um, and, and you know, and, and now surviving the heat and, and drought most of the time, uh, you know, cause you know, it, it never fails, man. Uh, it never rains when they're out of town. Never mother, uh, mother nature. She just hates right. us all. Yeah. So I've had, I've had, I've had three months of no rain. And my irrigation was out for a month and a half because they didn't have a part to fix in our well. Guess what the past week is? And our first scrimmage was last Thursday. Rain. Seven inches of rain. <laughs> I'm sitting here like, what do you want from me, Mother Nature? Huh? And it's been yeah. pouring all week. And I'm like, I can't take it anymore. I'm done. No, I hear you. And that's the biggest thing. You know, we can never we can never get what we want um, with Mother Nature. And uh, yeah, it's just, you know, you, you used to be with the ryegrass that we would look for gray leaf spot all the time. Um, now that we've transferred away from ryegrass to Kentucky blue, um, you, you know, you're looking for more like the summer patch and things like that. So it's transitioned a little bit and uh, you, you know, it just overall pretty happy this year where we're at right now. With everything again, that summer patch is a really big deal. I remember uh, in New York, uh, Bill Deacon was fighting that a lot um, and it was great to, I know it's bad to see it, but at the same time, it was great to learn when it popped up. Um, what are you doing to sort of prevent that the best you can? Because again, sometimes it's just like you have those days, three days in a row where it's so hot, you know, and it's just yeah. burning the bluegrass and it's so hard for it and whatnot. So what is it you're doing to sort of be preventative in that measure? Uh, just trying to watch your, your, your water, how much you water and how, how wet it's getting in those, in those heat moments. Um, and making sure that the, the moisture is right down inside, you know, downside that leaf tissue. Um, and I'll be honest, uh, this year we did start to show a little bit of gray, of not gray leaf spot, sorry. So used to saying that, right. And then, uh, but we did start to see a little bit of summer patch, but we attacked it early and had no damage at all. Uh, we got it very, very early. Uh, we caught it in its early stages, I should say. Um, and, uh, we're able to get rid of it and without any damage, we were, we were pretty lucky that, you know, Derek and everybody caught it very quickly. Um, but yeah, I think the the big thing, man, is just trying to manage your moisture as much as you can. And, and I know all the time you can't do that. I mean, 
I mean, you, you try the best you can, but mother nature has other, other opinions sometimes. And especially with humidity, the way it is sometimes, you know, it just, it's, it stinks. Absolutely. It is not fun one bit. I mean, it's just like, give us some time, you know, like one homestand, no tarpoles, right? Just one. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> That's, I, nice. w- I will say that because literally the only thing that I could not stand about my job when I was working with the Pirates and Mets was the tarp. It was yeah. like, just leave it off. Let it rain. We'll fix it tomorrow. <laughs> you know? right. uh, but with all of that, you know, a lot of, again, and I think, I forget who it was. Somebody made like a video the other day that explained to the real world that when the team goes out of town, you guys don't get a break. What is it that you're focusing on? You know, are you obviously, you're obviously aerating and all that, but what are you focusing on, on whether it's cores, t- uh, solid time, maybe bayonet, and then how often are you top dressing and different things? Is there anything else that you're focusing on during that time frame when they're on the road? Yeah. When, when they're on the road, it's, it's go time, but in a different sense, you know, it's, it's time to recuperate and try to get her back in shape. Uh, so she's uh, ready to rock and roll for, for next time. Um, you know, whether that's airifying the full field or just our high intense wear areas, whether it's down the foul lines or your position spots in the outfield or the back arc or the walk-up areas, um, 90% of the time we're just solid tines and with, with bayonets and then in the fall we'll pull cores. And then this year we've top dressed twice. A couple of times we've held back on the top dress because of the fact of how hot it was. We knew that we were very well compacted because, of course, you know, again, like I said, we've pulled tarp every time, every homestand this year. So we knew we were really compacted, but we knew we needed to get it opened up. But at the same time, you didn't want to top dress because you're afraid of burning things out even more than you already were going to by opening it up in these high heat situations. So we've top dressed twice now on top of it. uh, But, you know, we've been throwing a lot of seed and yeah it's it's a battle but you know your mind shifts every time they leave whether it's it's recuperating the aeration or you know the resod spots uh luckily we have battled this year to the point where we have only had to resod our position areas once um, we've been able to battle back and, and have a lot of regrowth when the team's been out of town. Um, I, Derek and I have been joking around a lot, uh, but up until like the 12 game homestand right around July 4th, like we kept joking to each other. We were on a operation, no sod. And, but like, I would just go out there and attack it with a pitchfork and, and just drop seed in it and just, you know, just drop it in real quick and just punch it in, in those wear areas. And it was working so well. But then we got to a July 4th area, that 12-game homestand, and I think that we had three or four delays that week, man. And it was just like, yeah, no shot. Uh, we got a sod. Um, and it just, you know, so when they left that time, you know, we went into operation sod mode. And then, you know, or sometimes your mind shifts to re- relay, uh, regrade the mounds, you know. It just 
it's always something when they're out of town that that needs to be caught back up that has been you know beat up per se while the team's been home absolutely it's it's still crazy to me like the amount of work that has to get done and everybody's just like oh yeah don't worry about it they'll be back in a week you guys you guys have it ready you know yeah but i mean it's crazy um with sort of everything that goes into that, you know, there are new things coming out, whether that's the Air 2G2 or whether that's, again, when you're talking about managing your irrigation, you can do that from your cell phone now, stuff like that, where technology is becoming very prevalent. I mean, we actually just got, and I know everybody's going to hate me, don't shoot me for getting a GPS painter, okay? Oh, it is, boy. <laughs> it is not being used in our classes, okay? I will show my kids how it works and whatnot, obviously, because my boss, my boss boss at the top bought it for us, for us, but we're using it as a fundraising tool, okay? Everybody hear that? Please don't get mad. <laughs> I promise I am teaching the, the string and everything, okay? We, we're we're going to do that. Please don't get mad. <laughs> but right. the technology that's in that is insane watching it actually go and whatnot and seeing that and that becoming such a big part of our industry has there been anything that you guys have been able to bring in in cincinnati that you really are like this is fantastic thank goodness we have this now it makes it a lot easier on us uh i mean dude to be honest we we keep it pretty simple here um we've used the air 2g2 here a couple times i i like it i think it works great um, do we have one on site all the time? No. Um, but we've used it a couple times. Um, we have a pogo system. Absolutely love it. Uh, I, we use it all the time, uh, to check, you know, how, how much moisture and everything I live and die by that thing. Um, I would say that's our biggest thing in the technology. Other than that, believe it or not, we still run our irrigation from a box. Uh, we don't even have it on our phones. Um, which causes nightmares because then you end up driving back down to the stadium to make sure that the irrigation is off when needed to be off. Um, you know, so, did I turn the switch? Right, no. dude. That is the did worst. I? Did <laughs> I? Did, yes, I did. Three o'clock in the morning. I gotta go check. <laughs> yeah, no, and you'll lay there thinking about it all night, and that's just <laughs> you know, and you know, I, I, you know, we still we we blow out our edges with a air compressor. Um. I don't know. We keep it pretty simple here. You know, besides our pogo, we we don't use much technology around here. You know, you know, pretty old school, I guess. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, it I, works. I, yeah, and we paint with a, a wheel to wheel, not have a GPS system do it for us. Thanks, man. Uh, <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> uh, this is great. Now I'm gonna be the laughing stock of the turf industry. This is great. No, but I mean, <laughs> it, it's pretty cool. It's making money for my kids. I can't complain. You know, it's it's great. You know, right. um, with everything that goes into it and whatnot, um, there are a lot of different stresses that come into effect. You know, there are so many different things. Whether that's okay, you're just talking about you're laying in bed, did I turn the irrigation off, stuff like that, um, and then you bring in the human factor. You know, you have this crew that needs to get stuff done. Are they working coherently? Does someone hate the other person? Why are they not doing this right? What's going on? That's a whole different side to the job that a lot of people don't understand. And especially with your position as the assistant, you know, you're more in the middle of it than say Derek. And again, Derek, don't get mad. I I understand you do a lot, (laughs) but 
in the moment on the field, if there's something going on and you recognize it, what is it that you and Derek are focusing on to make sure that you are getting the best out of each person, you know, and you were talking about how it's sort of like this family atmosphere. And I feel like a lot of people use that sort of, uh, uh, way of doing things but again families fight you know and there are issues and there are things that you work through so if you could sort of talk about what you do during that 82 games like making sure that everything's working and you're getting the best out of everyone in order to have that incredible field that you do at uh, american great american ballpark am i saying that right Great American ballpark. Yeah. Uh, all right. Just first of all, I don't, I don't really know what you're talking about, man. I've never fought or argued with anybody in my entire life. Um, and there's no such thing as stress. No, I'm just kidding. Um, wow. This is, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm cutting the interview now. This is amazing. <laughs> no, uh, dude. Uh, yeah. Um, that's the biggest thing is, you know, and I'm a huge, huge promo- proponent on that. Um, I, I, I struggle, uh, as do many in this, in this country, uh, with anxiety. And I think a lot of the times, you know, dude, first of all, end the stigma. It, it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to be upfront with people, um, to talk to someone about it. It's okay. Um, especially with how much stress we put on ourselves, how much stress this job puts on us, as you said, uh, you know, in, in, in finding that even keel moment, because let's face it, man, when you're in a 12 game homestand, dude, I, I see those kids in that and Derek more than I see my wife. Um, you know, and whether it's fine, it's, it's, it's finding that work life balance during that homestand, whether it's on a good day, the next day saying, Hey guys, here's the deal. We're going to come in at 11, but when you get here at 11, we're not going to take lunch. We're going to have to bust it all day to make sure, you know, that we get things done by practice but it's giving, it's allowing them to get that sleep that they deserve at night or to wake up in the morning and have that cup of coffee on their own couch rather than rushing into work again to work another 15 hour day. Um, or it's taking them to lunch while they're there or bringing them breakfast from McDonald's randomly just to say, Hey, thanks guys. Like, and just letting them know that they're, they're worth something to you. And just, yeah, I mean, dude, you can, I'm not saying this is an end all be all that this is going to cause, you know, that this is going to take all your problems away because guess what? People are still going to argue when it's 97 degrees outside and you've been there together for 15 hours a day. Like that's, that's not what I'm saying. We, we just try to find the best way you possibly can and, and just try not to yell at them. Try to understand that they're, they're there just as long as you are um, and, and going through the same heat and stipulations that you are. And they might not be going through the stress of the meetings or the stress of the higher ups or the, the rain decisions that you are, but at the same time, they're still there and their bodies are just, just as worn down as yours are. And, and just trying to relate and remember that, you know, that they're going through it just as much as you are. Absolutely. And I, my kids argue with me all the time, so I understand. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> Well, do, do we have to do it? Yeah. I wouldn't be telling you to do it if we didn't have to. <laughs> yes. The tarp has to go back on the field. Yes. Yeah. Trust I me. Said it. My knees I are screaming promise too. <laughs> you it's going to rain. Mother nature won't yeah. let it rain once we get it on the field, but it's going to rain if we don't put it on the field. So 
it's going on. Hundred percent. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Um, one of the things that uh we like to like ask when we're here, the there's so many of things, especially again with your unique story of having that uh time where you were working while at school. If there was something that you wanted to know when you first started that you know now, maybe not to make it like easier or anything or better, but that would be helpful in the sense that you understood going into this, into this industry and knowing what's going to happen. What would that be and why? Um, I think I knew, um, but I don't think I understood it to the extent that I know it now. And uh, that is how small knit this community is and that you can rely on anybody at any time and never feel like you're alone. And I think a lot of the times these kids go into these places and get into a sticky situation where they don't know how to run a budget yet. And they're trying to ride it by the coattails and figure out how to run a budget or how to figure out their fertilizer program or their spray programs. And just to understand that like, like, dude, even if you get disease today or if you accidentally leave your irrigation on during a game or like, dude, we've all been there. And I think that's the biggest thing. And we had a, a kid this year where he ended up breaking a mower on the outs, outer grounds. And it was his second day and he came downstairs and you could just see it in his eyes. And he was like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm going to get fired on my second day. And. Dude, I've seen way too many times where people get yelled and screamed at, you know, for, for doing that. And the biggest thing is here, and I can thank Steve and Derek for that, for, for, for hammering this home in my head is, all right, that kid comes down with that broken mower, right? You scream at him. Like, what does that do? Like, because that kid, it's his second day, right? And, and he wants to open up and, and, and be you one day. And if, if I scream at him today and if I get down his throat, like dude, he knows he screwed up. He knows he, he didn't go up there saying, I'm, I'm going to bust this mower tonight. Like he didn't mean to do that. Like, so at the end of the day, I, you know, even doesn't matter what situation you're in, there's always going to be someone you can talk to and, and know that everybody has been in your situation before they they've all screwed up. I've screwed up. I've, you know, I've had a, you know, one of the most terrifying moments of my life was when it, you know, when we pulled the tarp in Lake County one night and we, we were stuck, you know, we got stuck, but the rain came too quick. We didn't get it on. Like we've all been there at points where I'm right there at that moment. I've had that moment. Yeah. And New York, do you remember that? Yeah, no, I remember. Yeah. You, you know, and unfortunately <laughs> it gets glorified all over everywhere. I got, I got, uh, I got called Hollywood the next day because they can't, <laughs> They kept zooming in on the fat guy like, hey, he can't move it. I'm like, really? I got like 25 texts the next morning like, you're on the top 10. I'm like, lovely. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. that. That's the text. Hey, I haven't talked to you in four years. It's nice to see you. you know? <laughs> yeah. But I think the, big, the biggest thing is to the kids in this industry is just like stay connected. Know that you can talk to anybody at all the time, like that people's phones are always open and that it is a small knit community and know that everybody talks and everybody is willing to be there for you. And, you know, that you're always going to be learning and, you know, just make those phone calls. Don't be afraid to be like, Hey, this is what's going on in my field right now. Like, I'm not happy how it looks, but like, can you help? And dude, 99% of the time, even if you call me and I might not know, guess what? I'm going to call 
TJ Brewer at the Bengals be like, Hey man, what's your thoughts on this? Like there's always somebody that you can call and I'll, I'll get back to you. Like I might not get back to you in five minutes, but if I'm double checking my sources to make sure that I got the right answer for you, like that's the biggest thing in this industry is just know how tight knit this, this, like everybody has everybody's back. Couldn't agree with you more. And uh, I mean, it's, it's incredible to see. And hopefully one day we can expand that. You know, that reach and bring in that next generation of kids, you know, so right. here's open, you know, um, you kind of answered this question, but we always ended on this one. Um, especially with you, you and the MLB and working in baseball, what would be your best words of advice for a young individual who might be interested in entering this field specifically for baseball? Stay driven. Don't give up. Even though times are going to get hard. Um, it might seem like you, you might be stuck or you don't know where to go. Um, you know, whether it's the middle of a homestand or just frustration at the, at the moment of not progressing where you want to be, um, you know, and, and maybe wanting to shoot for the stars. And, uh, you know, that's the biggest thing is just stay driven and, you know, go get what you want. Like no one's holding you back. And that's, you know, from day one, you know, I knew where I wanted to go and what I wanted to accomplish and what my end goal was. And, you know, it didn't matter where I was. I was going to put out the best field possible and, you know, and do the best I possibly could and, you know, and doing everything to my best abilities. And I, my biggest thing is just, like I said, just stay connected and, you know, keeping the close contacts with people that, that you have created friendships with. And that's, you know, ever since I can't tell you how many friends I've created in this, in this industry just because of over, you know, being here for nine years now. Just stay connected. Don't be afraid to ask people things and, you know, stay driven would be my biggest point of advice. And find that work life balance. That's huge. Much harder, the much easier said than done, right? Is that the right saying? I can't think of it in my head. Uh, the work-life balance part? That part, yes, definitely. Well, I can't thank you enough. This has been incredible, and I appreciate you. Uh, again, such short notice in the middle of a homestand and everything. Uh, this was fantastic. I can't thank you enough. I hope that you have the best rest of your season. Um, hopefully, we get to see you in Savannah. We're, we're hopefully bringing some kids down, and we're presenting, so hopefully... I'm not going to say anything with COVID. Yeah, absolutely, I'm not man. 